Welcome to Pints with Jack, Season 4, Episode 12, The Screwtape Letters. Letter 7, Better the Devil You Know. Welcome everyone. Pints with Jack is your weekly C.S. Lewis podcast, where Matt, Andrew and I break down and discuss the works of C.S. Lewis. This season, we're eavesdropping on the correspondence of a senior demon, Screwtape, as he explains how to tempt the patient, a human assigned to be tempted by Screwtape's nephew, Wormwood. Each week, we'll be considering a different letter, untwisting Screwtape's hellish logic, and forming a battle plan for our own spiritual lives. And today, it's our first episode without Matt. <laughs> Matt, don't you miss us? <laughs> we don't miss you. <laughs> no, it's no, not true. we do. Not Andrew, true. how could you? Oh, I'm a bad, bad man. (laughs) Before we get started, in Lewis News, around the time of recording this episode, because we're recording this one a little bit in advance, we're trying to build them all up before the new year, so we get to have a little bit of a break over Christmas, Narnia Web have released their 70th anniversary video for The Lion, the Witch and the Wardrobe. And in that, we spoke about it in an earlier episode, Narnia fans from around the world are reading a section of that book. And if you look very carefully, you might recognize a particularly good-looking Englishman featured among those readers. Yes, I saw that video of Michael Ward as well. <laughs> oh, oh, wait. But you're very handsome too, David. <laughs> I, 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 would, I would be hurt, but he's a good-looking man. What can I say? <laughs> <laughs> I've seen some pictures of him as, uh, as the priest from, from Holy Trinity Church in Max McLean's upcoming uh, movie adaptation, A Most Reluctant Convert. And I had, to, I had to do a double take. I hardly recognized him. He had hair. Me too. Me too. I can't remember who I first saw sharing it, but I did the same thing. It's like, that guy looks vaguely familiar. I can't place him, though. <laughs> I thought it was Michael Ward sharing it from just when he had been on set, but it was actually he, and I was uh, I was flabbergasted. It was wonderful. No, I'm sorry. I wasn't flabbergasted. I was gobsmacked, right? <laughs> you were gobsmacked. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. When, when that's finally released, and goodness knows how it'll be released if COVID's still going, if cinemas are still even a thing, but uh, one way or another, at some point, we will definitely have a watch party for that. Oh, absolutely. I can't wait to see what uh, what happens with that. And I just love the way that Max really reveres uh, Lewis's language and accuracy. And uh, uh, every production I've seen of him really is faithful to the to the actual story. Well, and I'm uh, by the time this is released, you will have had a watch party for the Fellowship for Performing Arts's uh, production of The Great Divorce. Mm-hmm. I was very excited when I found out that they, that they were going to be doing that. Because at the end of the last watch party, we talked about what we might do next time. And a few days later, Max McLean and the Fellowship of Performing Arts announced that they were going to live stream their version of The Great Divorce, which I haven't even seen, which is just madness. Because as we all know, it's Lewis's best book. <laughs> well, as all of us <laughs> except for me and C.S. Lewis know, it was his best book. So, you know, present company accepted on that. Um, I think that your listeners, they should be playing the live stream. So your listeners, if they're listening on the day that we release this podcast, you may still be able to go to Fellowship for Performing Arts and get a chance to watch the live stream of The Great Divorce. Uh, one other thing before we get things started, folks on the Slack channel have said that they really like it when we talk about the other books that we're reading at the moment. So, Andrew, what have you been reading at the moment? (laughs) You mean besides a huge stack of seminary textbooks? Beside that. (laughs) Uh, Well, I have been reading seminary textbooks, and they're wonderful. I'm reading Thomas Long's book about preaching. 
Um, and it's just, it's just fantastic. So lots of intriguing stuff there. But I also love Malcolm Geit just released uh, a new Rubiat, the, the Quarantine Quatrains. And he released it in conjunction with a friend of his who's an illustrator. And so there were 600 uh, copies, all signed and numbered. And marvelous, marvelous poems by Malcolm Geit. Um, and he's also putting out a book early next year on the, his Malcolm's poems about the Psalms of David. So uh, reading a little Malcolm, which is always a good thing for my soul. On my bedside table for the last couple of days, I've had Timothy Keller's book, Reason for God. And that's just been wonderful. I had heard Keller give quite a few talks, but this is the first book of his that I ever read. Uh, and every now and again, I would chuckle to myself as I was reading it. And Marie would say, has he done it again? And by it, she meant, has he quoted Lewis again? Because, <laughs> man, that, that guy is standing on the shoulders of a giant very regularly. Oh, he certainly is. You know, some many of my friends um, who are teachers uh, and who love Lewis like I do, all, all of our students um, play a drinking game where every time Lewis comes up, uh, they, they take a drink. I think I've managed in my sermon so far not to mention Lewis, but uh, but I may have to do something about that. Now, and speaking <laughs> of Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe coming up uh, on its 70th anniversary, um, Kristen and I did a retreat a couple of years ago on the, the gifts of Father Christmas. And so we'll be duplicating replicating some of the replicating some of that material for the C.S. Lewis Foundation uh, the week of the 13th of December. Um, and so that'll all be online and we'll do a live Q&A on December 19th. And so I think that um, the thing about Lewis is that he, you know, he, he's, he's so fresh. Are you reading anything else? Uh, one other book I got through was Treasure Island. Because I, I don't know about you, but I look back on the very expensive education that my parents got for me, and I realize how many holes there are in it. And Treasure Island was one of those books. Never read it. Thought I should, and so I read it, and it was wonderful and kind of scary. Yeah, you know, I, th that's another thing I think that Lewis does. I call him a door and a doorway, and he certainly has opened uh, opened my eyes to to adventure books and lots of other books that I wouldn't have have done before. Joel Heck has pointed out that Lewis at his height was reading a book every two or three days, uh, literally just uh, continually reading. And I think that's one of the real joys of his letters uh, is when he just comments on the books that he's reading. And even if he doesn't like a book, he'll manage to find out, you know, chapter 38 has wonderful dialogue and the scenery in, in, in chapter 12 is particularly good. And so um, he always, uh, always inspires me to keep reading more and more widely. Are you liking Treasure Island? I finished it. I loved it. Oh, it was, like I say, it was it was great. It was just a little bit scarier than I thought. It was it's kind of intense. <laughs> what they call children's books is actually pretty freaky uh, by today's standards. Well, speaking of story, uh, freaky stories, uh, stories that have some scare to them. Uh, what what letter to the devil are we reading uh, today? Uh, today, talking about today. Today we're doing letter seven from the Screwtape Letters. And in this letter, Screwtape responds to a question which Wormwood has asked him, uh, whether he should overtly reveal himself to his patient or remain hidden. And it's because of this that the song of the week and title of this episode is Better the Devil You Know by the princess of pop, Kylie Minogue. <laughs> but there is an honorary mention that should go to Devil Inside by In Excess. 
You can tell from all of these songs quite how old I am. <laughs> <laughs> well, and that was back when I had stopped listening to uh, to to some of the pop music, and so I missed a lot of uh, a lot of the '90s stuff. Well, I actually very nearly went in a different direction with the episode title because in this episode, Screwtape talks a lot about cliques, you know, the inner ring. So I nearly went with a song I absolutely love, which is by Dobie Gray. I'm in with the in crowd. Uh, and and there was one other topic that came up near the end. Screwtape wants the patient to wed his faith to another ideology so that he waters his faith down. It becomes mm. the means rather than the ends. So it was very nearly Just Give Me Jesus by Unspoken. Well, and if listeners haven't um, read uh, Lewis's marvelous essay, The Inner Ring, and also I would throw in their membership, and aren't both of those in transpositions? Yes, or, I think so. um, Weight of Glory. Uh, and and well worth well worth reading, not too long, and really kind of gives a, a view on on how Lewis on Lewis's take on clicks. So I love those titles. You, you, you're a, you're a fountain of creativity with those. <laughs> I need projects to keep me out of trouble. <laughs> uh, but as a reminder, as we said earlier in the season, listener, if you think you've got a better song title for any of these episodes, contact us. Let us know, and. If I really like it, you might get a copy, a signed copy of William O'Flaherty's book, C.S. Lewis Goes to Hell. Oh, you see, I've got a, a copy and William is a friend, but I've never gotten a signed one. So I might start have to, having to send in some titles. <laughs> I will allow it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Let's get on with the quote of the week. Sure. All extremes, except extreme devotion to the enemy, are to be encouraged. And this, of course, from letter number seven. We're going to say this quite a few times over the course of this season, but this is one of the best lines of the entire book. Well, and Lewis gives us such kind of portable wisdom. And the, when people ask why, why I love Lewis so much, it's because he speaks so eloquently to so many different areas of my life that are practically helpful. And so to remember that if I'm feeling extreme and going extreme in, in any extreme direction, um, except for towards the Lord, it's probably time to check myself. We're recording this uh, right after the election, but before the results were announced, it'll be released. To be fair, by the time this is released, <laughs> the results will still probably be inconclusive. <laughs> but one of the things that uh, that I think that Lewis really helps us with is in our politics, uh, the only extremity I think that we should have about our politics is that they, like everything else, should it should reflect uh, extremely our love of the Lord and our love of people. And so this uh, extreme devotion to the enemy, greatly to be encouraged. Um, love that. Well, I'll drink to that. Aha. Which then begs the question, what are we drinking today? Ah, uh, in my little Pints with Jack Glencairn glass. Our drink of the week, courtesy of Matt Bush, is Talisker 10. A 10-year-old Talisker. And it says in uh, Michael Jackson's wonderful guide to single malt scotch that the color is bright amber red. Do you see that? Definitely. Good. The nose, pungent, smoke-accented, rounded, much like myself. (laughs) You think of yourself as pungent? (laughs) (laughs) Well, my wife might say so. Um, Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no, Uh, I can... That's there. it's, it's, It's strong smoky, even get a little bit of pepperiness on the nose. I get that as well. Yeah, absolutely. 
Um, and then the palate is smoky, malty sweet with sourness and a very big pepperiness developing. And then the finish is very peppery, huge, and long. So are you up for some pepper? Mm, yes, I think all, I'd go with all of that. Definitely malty, definitely smoky, very peppery, and probably one of the longest finishes we've had in a while. Mm. Yeah, I can feel that go all the way down. <laughs> I don't know. I don't get as much of a of a pop on the mouth, on the tongue when I when I taste it. Oh, have you been watering it down again? See, I get it right on the tip of my tongue. <laughs> no, I decided to go without water this time. Good boy. <laughs> well, now we've talked about the drink. Normally, now we would toast a gold level supporter on Patreon. But today, I'd like to toast all of our supporters on the Slack channel, which is available to any silver level patron or above, uh, just because the chatter over the past few weeks has been absolutely stellar. Oh my goodness, I love our slackers. They've been great slackers. One person said that they've had more offers for people to pray for them in since they joined this channel than in the last decade of their life, which is horrendous and encouraging at the same time. It's like <laughs> local churches do better, but well done, well done, slackers. <laughs> well, I think that we're creating for a community that cares for each other, and I think that, uh, that Lewis would be gratified by that. Mm. So with that, please raise your glass to all the slackers. May you always find a home with us online. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> so, as we mentioned earlier, today we're discussing Letter 7, which was published in The Guardian on the 13th of June, 1941. And here is my 100-word summary. Screwtape explains that, unlike in ages past, policy from high command is to conceal demonic activity. This produces many materialists, but unfortunately, few magicians. Screwtape hopes that one day science, the life force, sex, or psychoanalysis might be used to achieve the best of both worlds. In the meantime, disbelief in devils is fostered principally by presenting them as comic figures. Should the patient become a patriot or a pacifist? All extremes, apart from love of God, are encouraged, but Screwtape thinks that pacifism is the best bet hopefully putting him into a coterie and providing a means of co-opting his Christianity. How do you do that? hundred words, very nicely done. It's really difficult. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's get started then. The letter kicks off and we find out that Wormwood has asked his uncle whether he should reveal himself to the patient. And I will just say as an aside, if you listen to the Focus on the Family production of Screwtape, this is hilarious. That's all I'm going to say. Go get it. Listen to it. Laugh your socks off. Remember, that's Andy Circus who played Gollum uh, mm -hmm. doing the performance. My dear Wormwood. Oh, he does it with such zeal. So what yes. does Screwtape respond? Well, he says, that question, at least for the present phase of the struggle, has been answered for us by high command. Our policy for the moment is to conceal ourselves. Of course, this has not always been so. So while Screwtape is saying that you know, there'll still be exorcisms and still spiritual battles to be fought, the battleground at this time looks rather different from perhaps, say, when Christ walked the earth. 
It's kind of like Arthur Miller, right? Who um, treats uh, in the Crucible treats demon possession or, or or witchcraft as some kind of mental defect or or power play, and it never enters in, into his mind that there could actually be possession. Mm. Um, and I think that in this kind of modern, polite, scientific society, we don't want to uh, give credence to that. And some of what goes on is much more than just mental illness, isn't it? Yeah, and. Related to that, I actually just got confirmed I'm going to be interviewing an exorcist on the show before the end of the year. So we're going to bring up all of these questions. And listeners, if you have any questions you want me to ask, mail them in now. Excellent. Well, let me quibble with Lewis here. You said uh, that the you, you read that the questions have been answered by the high command, but shouldn't that have been the low command? I completely agree. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't the low command part of the higher part of the lowerarchy? Exactly. Yeah. And higher up would be worse. So I'm going to let Lewis off a little bit because life was very crazy. This was in a, a very productive period in his life, but everything is going on. He's rattling these, these letters out very quickly. So everybody's allowed one. <laughs> yeah, well, 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 even and even his uh, his mistakes, if if that's what they are, are, probably far cleverer than anything that we could create. It's also good, I think, to uh, maybe make use of Joel Heck's marvelous uh, chronologically Lewis, um, where he has tracked down every single date of Lewis's life. Um, it's a good idea if you want to understand a book to read the other things that Lewis was writing around the same time. So if you read. His letters from 41, 42, if you read his essays. And then also keep in mind that he's writing Paralandra, which has a fight with a demon-possessed person. And he's writing Preface to Paradise Lost, where Milton is glorifying Satan to some degree. And he's also writing Mere Christianity about the, uh, about the enemy. Um, and so all of this is kind of happening all at the same time. So Lewis is doing a lot of devilish thinking right around now. Screwtape then explains the dilemma that surrounds the question that Wormwood asked, do we reveal or not reveal ourselves? Screwtape says that when the humans disbelieve in our existence, we lose all the pleasing results of direct terrorism and we make no magicians. On the other hand, when they believe in us, we cannot make them materialists and skeptics. At least, not yet. So he's saying if they hide their presence, they can make the man a materialist and a skeptic, but if they reveal themselves, they get lots of fun playing around with him and can possibly turn him into a magician. So what does he mean by magician? Someone that pulls rabbits out of hats? David Copperfield, basically? <laughs> no, I think that um, one of the things that you have in, uh, in the time period where Lewis is writing, and he's writing as a British literary modernist, um, You've got this kind of eschewing or rejecting of faith that kind of begins in the Age of Enlightenment. You can see roots back much, much earlier. You've got the 1859 Darwin origin of the species. You've got this kind of bifurcation, this division between science and faith. And this idea that the sacred and the secular are two different kinds of thinking and should never be considered together. That is a lie, actually, from Screwtape. Um and as you see from letter one, Lewis encourages us to read science because it helps us to think about realities that we cannot see. So you've got this kind of mindset that's happening with the abandonment of the spirituality of Christianity. Nietzsche famously says that God is dead right around this period. Um, uh, Freud makes the point that guilt is neurosis and all you need is scientific healing and therapy from that and you'll be fine. Um, 
there's an abandonment of the traditional spirituality of Christianity. And so people are turning elsewhere. So it's around this time that there's lots of spiritualism. Arthur Waite, you've got the rise of the Second Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn and Madame Blatowski. Uh, William Butler Yeats is actually part of the, the Golden Dawn Society. And there's a picture of him with uh, Charles Williams. Uh, who was also interested in magic working. And so they were thinking about magic as almost like alchemy uh, back in the medieval period, as, as a way to manipulate some forces that are, that are maybe out there. Um, you see magicians sometimes show up, of course, in Lewis's writing. You see it famously in Dimer, where after, a, uh, after Lewis met with William Butler Yeats uh, in person in Oxford and got to meet the great man, uh, his fellow Irishman, he kind of drew a magician figure in Dimer that's like Yeats. And so um, Lewis's kind of main bent was materialism. What you see is what you get. I don't believe anything outside of science. But he would fall off on either side when he would get bored with materialism. And sometimes he was a ma he would consider things of magic. And sometimes there were there were kind of some sexual aberrations. Um, for him, I think they're all about control. And if you really want to kind of see how he balances these and describes them, there's a little bit of that in Surprised by Joy. But in early prose joy, which is Lewis's first uh, account of his theistic conversion, you really see the progress. And so magic is this kind of consolation for somebody who won't let himself believe in God and supernatural forces. So I think that's kind of what's going on here. Something about the aching of the human heart that it can't simply be satisfied with a materialistic outlook. Lewis actually says in Surprised by Joy that all of the materialists and atheists that he read that he should have been agreeing with, they just bored him. <laughs> now, at the end of the passage that I just read, Screwtape suggested that one day the demons might be able to get the best of both worlds, of the magician and the materialist. And he explains it this way. He says, I have great hopes that we shall learn in due time how to emotionalize and mythologize their science to such an extent that what is in effect a belief in us, though not under that name, will creep in while the human mind remains closed to belief in the enemy. Ah, that's Philostrato, right? And that's the, the nice from, from that hideous strength where they are doing exactly that. And screw tape suggests a couple of areas where this might eventually be achieved. He says the life force, the worship of sex, and some aspects of psychoanalysis may here prove useful. And that first one, I think, might require a little bit of explanation depending upon how much someone has read of Lewis. The life force that he mentions here, it relates to the writings of the French philosopher Henri-Louis Bergson. He was in like the 19th century. And George Bernard Shaw from approximately the same sort of time. And both suggested the existence of a creative consciousness which guides man in a form of evolution. And this idea was a regular target for Lewis in his writings. He writes about it in Mere Christianity, in The Four Loves, and we're going to see both creative evolution and Shaw himself mentioned in subsequent letters. Yeah, I think that his talking about the Alain Vital, you know, this life force, and he calls it, I think, one of the greatest delusions that that men have, uh, that people have fallen fallen under. Um, I think that people want to squirm away from um, kind of old timey religion, which Lewis embraced, and although it mortified him uh, to become a Christian, I think it mortified him even more to to languish in some of the alternatives that Screwtape had led him into up until that point. And I was just looking at what's common about those three items. 
the life force, worship of sex, and psychoanalysis. And they each have some some imitation of what Christianity points towards, Mm -hmm. that we do believe in a life force. But the thing is, it's a personal life force, and its name is Jesus Christ. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Uh, And the worship of sex, Lewis says in Mere Christianity, Christianity is one of the very few religions that actually is affirming of the body and of creation. So that this is something good, but Screwtape is taking it and twisting it. And in the same way, psychoanalysis is, is, is seeing the, the depth of the human mind mm-hmm. and the, the, the majesty and complexity of it all. And again, that's all true, but it points to uh, the mind, you know, is pointing to God, something even greater, and as well as recognizing that we are made in his image and likeness. So these are all just shallow imitations of or, or maybe not. That's maybe that's too harsh. It's not their shallow imitations. It's just they're incomplete. They're a sign pointing to something greater than themselves. I think they're directionally challenged. Um, I think that, and I've talked about this in some of my work on Toya Faces. Uh, the the problem that Lewis was facing in all of these alternatives to his begrudging acceptance eventually of the faith, um, and I think where this where Screwtape really wants to work most on us, uh, Screwtape wants us to turn towards the self. They want, he wants us to turn towards ourselves, right? Mm. And in taken in the wrong way, psychoanalysis becomes navel-gazing, sex becomes, you know, becomes a very selfish thing. All of these things kind of turn towards the self. And Lewis talks very clearly about love being going out of ourselves towards the other. And so any turn from the self outward is essentially a move towards love and a move towards God. And Screwtape wants us to continue turning inward. And we'll talk, I'm sure, later on in the season about uh, about consumption and about how... Um, how other people are not things for us to minister to, but uh, designed to feed us. And so that's, I think, another thing that these have in common. They help us turn towards ourselves instead of outwards towards God and towards our neighbor. Yeah. And, and when I think of the materialist magician, Lewis presents him regularly in his books. Mm-hmm. People like Uncle Andrew from The Magician's Nephew. Thanks a lot. <laughs> I'm an Uncle Andrew at uh, at my wife's uh, family's house, and that uh, that never fails to gall me. Yeah, <laughs> Professor Weston as well is one of these materialist magicians. Yeah. Also, in addition to to Professor Weston, as I mentioned, Yeats um, in in uh, Lewis speaks clearly in the 1950 preface to Dimer um, uh, about Yeats and apologizes in some ways to Yeats for using him as the form of his magician. If you're interested in that marvelous book, it's Lewis's second book of poems, his second book that he published, and his second book, his last book that he wrote before becoming a Christian with the exception of most of Allegory of Love, Dimer has just been released, and it's annotated by David Downing from uh, the Wade Center, uh, who's also done an annotated Pilgrim's Regress. And then there's these brilliant lectures that have been transcribed and edited by Jerry Root from Wheaton College uh, about Dimer and uh, the importance of Dimer. And so uh, it's called Splendor of the Dark, Splendor in the Dark. Um, and uh, by Jerry Root and C.S. Lewis, and that's a great version of Nimer if you're st- if you're uh, if our listeners are looking for one. Wonderful. We like annotated versions; they're helpful. Yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Now, one more thing before we move off the topic of whether Wormwood should reveal himself to the patient. Screwtape says that he doesn't think the Wormwood is going to have much difficulty in keeping his patient in the dark, particularly given the images of the demonic in the popular imagination. And when I read this, I think of our current generation in particular. Because Screwtape says 
if any faint suspicion of your existence begins to arise in his mind, suggest to him a picture of something in red tights, and persuade him that since he cannot believe in that, he therefore cannot believe in you. Hmm. Well, and he touches on that in Mere Christianity too, right? Uh, do you mean mm-hmm. at this time to bring back our old friend the devil with his you know, tights and cape and pitchfork? And he says, well, I'm not particularly about the tights and the cape, but, uh, but absolutely. <laughs> yeah, it's somewhere between the red herring fallacy and the straw man fallacy. It's putting up something else and saying, well, since, you, since this is ridiculous, then it all is ridiculous. <laughs> the red straw herring fallacy. <laughs> <laughs> Invented a new one. I like it. Yeah, there we go. Now, in the letter, we now change gears because Screwtape returns to the subject, which was mentioned in a previous letter, as to whether or not to make the patient a patriot or a pacifist. And I thought maybe before we read what he says in this letter that we should probably say a few words about Lewis and patriotism and pacifism because you find them sprinkled throughout his works. Absolutely. Um, there's a famous essay uh, that Lewis wrote, Why I Am Not a Pacifist, and he makes a, a good case uh, for serving in war. And remember that Lewis was deeply shaped by war. And uh, on his 19th birthday, found himself in the trenches in France. Uh, his brother was a life uh, career military officer, Major Warren Lewis, um, and in, on active duty in both World War I and World War II. Um, and so Lewis is, this is an informed view when he talks about war. Um, even more than that, patriotism, and we've certainly seen some of that in the, in the election season. Um, and uh, there's a, the, keep in mind that quote of the week, extremes are to be avoided, uh, or are to be encouraged, except, except for extreme devotion to the enemy. I would far rather be an extreme Christian who voted one way or the other than an extreme any political party. Um, The love of country uh, is what Lewis would qualify as affection or storgy. And this comes from his wonderful book, The Four Loves. That's the most helpful book for me as an adult, by the way. I learned more about relationships and the boundaries thereof from The Four Loves than just about anything. Um, And storgy is the love that you're born into. You love your family, not because you chose them, but just because you were born into it. You love your country. Um, I'm sure that if, uh, David, if you hear somebody in the grocery store speaking in a British accent, your ears perk up. Yep. Um, Being a polite Brit, you probably don't rush over and introduce yourself. Absolutely not. (laughs) As an American, though, who's traveled in Europe, when you hear English spoken, I'm going to run right over. And better if it's American English and better if they know the places. It's It's a camaraderie born out of accident. It's, it's why you probably have on your social media some of your friends from high school that you will never speak to again. Mm-hmm. You know, that old fight song or the old clubbishness or uh, if, you, if somebody that you work with, even who you don't particularly like, is leaving and you have a pang of, oh, I'll never see that person again, a, a bit of sadness. That's storgy that's happening. And so what Screwtape wants us to do, and I think that this is wise in the election season, is to get us so ramped up about these accidental loves that we didn't necessarily choose, that they become, they begin to be gods. Um, they begin to be of exalted importance. And uh, I think that Screwtape wants us to to be extreme in our in our patriotism, or extreme in our pacifism, extreme in our uh, democratness or republicanness or um, whatever it is, libertarianism. I think that he wants us uh, in all of these things, in all of these loves, 
to turn from God and turn towards self. It's just predictable. And I think that that's a lot of what's going on here. And there's a section here that is chilling. Hmm. Because this idea of extremes, he, he applies it to both the individual level, but also at the societal level. And he says something that, that they always try and aim for. He says, some ages are lukewarm and complacent, and then it is our business to soothe them yet fast for sleep. Other ages, of which the present is one, are unbalanced and prone to faction, and it is our business to inflame them. Mm. That latter one sounds like us right now. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I have friends who say, I'm not a rager, but I'm a finely tuned outrager. Uh, I, I think that we love to be offended, don't we? Absolutely. Well, and the helpful picture that comes both from Screwtape and, and Mere Christianity is that the, the goal of the enemy is to separate us even just a little tiny bit from the Lord, and then to push that wedge even further. Because remember, it, once I allow myself uh, a separation or a self-indulgence or a sin, once I allow that and then don't stop it, in a few years, that'll grow worse, but I am not a temporal creature of three score years and ten. I'm an eternal creature, and that's why hell would be the only place for me if I allow that separation from God and self-indulgent to grow to its monstrous conclusion. And right around this time again, um, many of our listeners know that wonderful sermon, of The Weight of Glory. And we're all helping each other on to the destiny of being either something godlike or something um, something absolutely hellish. And I think that's what he's about right now. And one of the chief tools for Screwtape in this is the group, the coterie, the inner ring. He writes, any small coterie bound together by some interest which other men dislike or ignore tends to develop inside itself a hothouse mutual admiration and towards the outer world, a great deal of pride and hatred, which is entertained without shame because the cause is its sponsor, and it is thought to be impersonal. You know, these cliques, these coteries in the Four Loves, he describes it as a little self-elected aristocracy basking in the moonshine of our collective self-approval. As a former band geek, this strikes a little close to home. Um, <laughs> but I think any of our self-selected groups that where we congratulate ourselves about our uniqueness and, and revel in it. Um, the... Um, I think that, but then Lewis, of course, is part of the Inklings. He was part of a small society. And it's not small societies that are wrong. I think the hallmark is, do I welcome others in, right? And do I regard myself as amazingly fortunate to have found such wonderful people? Or does it become a them and us attitude? It's like, well, these are my sort of people and people out there right. are a different sort of people, not really up to scratch. Did I get the sense that I'm in amongst my betters and I'm humbled at it? Or do I get a sense of how proud I am that we are here, you know, all together? Um, I think the other um, part of it is uh, what Lewis says about pride in mere Christianity, that pride isn't about having, pride is about having more than someone else. Mm. And this idea of negative comparison if comparison leads to compassion, it's driven by the Lord. But if comparison leads to coterie or exclusion, we can see that somebody else is clearly at work. Mm. And, and the thing that's really chilling is that Screwtape explains that this is true even when it comes to Christianity. He says, we have never yet succeeded in giving her, by that her, he means the church, all the characteristics of a faction. But subordinate factions within her, within the church, have often produced admirable results. 
from the parties of Paul and of Apollos at Corinth, down to the high and low parties in the Church of England. Hmm. Well, and that's worth digging into. Of course, Paul is speaking about St. Paul. Um, mm -hmm. And Apollos was somebody that he refers to uh, in his letters, you know, that I planted and Apollos watered. Apollos was a figure, some even think, uh, speculate whether he was the author of the book, to, uh, of the letter to the Hebrews. Um, and so these were co-laborers, and it would be natural for people to feel a sense of pride. Well, the Lord is using me here and here and here. And and uh, we all know what happens with pride. So that's uh, a little bit about what uh, what Apollos says, or what Apollos is about. Doesn't he talk about that a little bit at the first letter in Corinthians? Yeah, because there it's all about, well, who baptized you? Well, I was baptized by Apollos. I was baptized by Cephas. Uh, I belong to Paul. I belong to Christ. You know, everybody wanting to to put up a particular uh, sub-faction within the church makes them stand out from, you know, the riffraff, everyone else. <laughs> I had a friend and I used to be so proud back when I was a Baptist. Um, I used to be so proud and I, I was bragging to her, well, John was a Baptist. And she said, yes, but I'm a Nazarene, <laughs> <laughs> which shut me right up. I think Paul shuts us all right up in a healthy, uh, redemptive way in 1 Corinthians 10 or 1, 10 through 13, where he says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed, as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are equal, and each shall receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field, God's building. And you know, I've been thinking a lot lately about this prayer um, at the end of the parable where uh, he says, when you have done your duty, you should say, or when you have done what you were supposed to, you should just say, I am an unworthy servant. I have only done my duty. Mm. And that to me, to try to have those words in my mouth are really a really good reminder that it's not about me or my little click. It's about the Lord and what he is uh, f flabbergastingly willing to do through, uh, through us with even a little bit of willingness in the prayer of Our Lady, who says, may it be with me as you have said. But what's crazy here is that you see Screwtape at work in the first century, and he's doing the same thing. He's getting people to focus on the sign, not what the sign pointed to. Focus on the fact that it was Paul that led you to Christ, or that Apollos baptized you, rather than the fact that Paul preached Christ to you, so you entered into a relationship with him. Apollos baptized you, so you died with Christ, and so you'll rise again with him. It keeps wanting people to stop short of mm -hmm. the full glory of God. Mm -hmm. And to turn to our own bona fides. Well, I'm so proud that I am part of this, uh, this church or that. And, and there are very good reasons for people to choose wisely the church and, uh, that they belong to and to, to serve that denomination well, but to not, uh, to not mistake it for... Uh, an assignation of merit. Um, our, our merit comes from the cross where Christ died for us and redeemed us. And that's glory enough, uh, I think, for any of us. But you do have to explain to some listeners, because they're not going to know what Lewis, or Screwtape rather, is talking about here when he talks about the high and low parties in the Church of England. What are these parties and how much fun are they? 
<laughs> well, there are, they have to do with, uh, with sacraments, with, with uh, vestments, with liturgy. Um, so I'm an Episcopacostatarian. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the one true denomination. <laughs> yes. I was raised nothing and then came to faith in the Baptist church and have uh, made my peregrinations, made my journeys and pilgrimages. And now, of course, I'm, I'm preparing to be a, a priest in the Church of England. Um, and so we say about the high and the low, and there's also the broad. So the shorthand is high and crazy, low and lazy, broad and hazy. <laughs> so a high church or an Anglo-Catholic uh, Episcopalian such as T.S. Eliot um, loves the smells and bells and loves all of the liturgy and the signs and the symbols and icons and smoke and, and robes and, and kneeling and all the rest. Um, and I like that stuff myself. Uh, low church is... Um, is much more, much less of the music, much less of the, the chanting, much less of the, the ornaments or the trappings. I have a friend here in Episcopal Seminary who has never heard of a priest being called father, which is remarkable to me. Mm. Um, and so, uh, so you see it there. Uh, broad and hazy is kind of a wide acceptance of just about any view is welcome here. You got space for the evangelicals here. You've got space for for very progressives, you know, on the other end, and so you can be broad or narrow, and also high or low. So I know people who are high and broad, mm -hmm. and I know people who are low and narrow, and so those are kind of some of the going terms uh, in the Church of England and the Episcopal Church right now. We're going to talk a little bit more about pacifism because that's what Screw Tape determines is probably the best bet for Wormwood's patient. Uh, one thing I will just quickly say, I mentioned earlier that I read Reasons for God by Timothy Keller. There's a section towards the end of that, and I'll put in a video of basically the same material that I found. And one of the things that Keller says, it was kind of like a heart check moment for me. He says that what makes Christianity different from other religions is the fact we don't have anywhere to boast mm. except for what God has done for me. Mm -hmm. You'll often hear... I'm nothing, I'm just another beggar telling another beggar where the bread is. Mm -hmm. And it is something quite incredible about Christianity that it should prevent us from becoming conceited for our group, however you want to chop that up, whether it's actually the Christian faith or the particular denominational church that you belong to. It, it is all grace. He moved first, not me. It's not because of anything that I've done that, uh, that I'm in this privileged status. It's because of what God did for me, as Paul says in Romans, while we were still sinners. Sure. Yes, Romans 5.8. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for the ungodly. That's my life verse. And Paul says, I will boast only of this. I'll boast of my weakness. Um, and I'll boast in the cross. And in some ways, that's, I think, the real genius um, at least architectonically or conceptually of the screw tape letters is that we have to flip screw tape right side up. Fl screw tape has flipped everything upside down, but in some ways, even the act of writing this book and reading this book, we get to participate in the very same thing that, that our Lord did that we're about to celebrate during Advent, the kenosis, the emptying out. The King of Glory came to be born in, in rags, in a trough, in a, in a hick town, and was spat upon, and then went to the cross. I mean, our boast should only be in the squalor 
of the Lord's incredible humility. And how can I boast if he went marching to the cross? And even then he couldn't even boast that he carried his own cross, right? Somebody else had to carry the cross for him, you know, and the women of Jerusalem were weeping and wiping his face. And so um, so this, this very act of screw tape reminds us to humble ourselves under God's mighty hand that he in due season will lift us up. Philippians 2, through and through. <laughs> Absolutely. I need a tattoo. <laughs> <laughs> so let's finish this letter by listening to Screwtape's thoughts on pacifism. He's already explained that you can have coteries in the church, in a rings. And so if that's the case for the church, you can definitely have it among pacifism. And that's why he says, if your patient can be induced to become a conscientious objector, so a pacifist, uh, he will automatically find himself one of a small, vocal, organized, and unpopular society. And the effects of this on one so new to Christianity will almost certainly be good. But only almost certainly. Yeah, the Lord is working and mitigating against our very weakness, isn't he? Yeah. And that's the enemy. If he can't keep someone from the faith, he's going to immediately try to sequester um, and and try to minimize the effect, the potential effectiveness, and to make him unpopular, to make him or her, you know, part of a group that feels very put upon and very outraged. Pretty soon, they lose their way. Um, and Screw Tape is always trying to keep us from the cross and to keep us from wholehearted love for God and love for neighbor. If I'm not being loving towards God. If I'm not being loving towards neighbor, if I'm not exulting in the love of God for me and for my neighbor, you can believe that screw tape is at work in my life. And he can often do it by having us found our identity in something other than the fact that we are a child of God and a person for whom Jesus Christ died. You put your identity in something else, that's going to be the vehicle he's then going to steer to take you in a direction that you don't want to go. Uh, Screwtape actually asks a series of questions about the patient just to check for his suitability towards pacifism. He asks Wormwood, was he sympathetic to the pacifist cause prior to the possibility of his own conscription? You know, prior to him actually possibly going to the front, was he sympathetic beforehand? He asks him, is he a man of great courage? Is he someone who is generally brave? And is he actually convinced that pacifism is the right thing to do? And Screwtape implies that if he can answer yes to any of these questions, then pacifism won't actually be a very good cause for him to lead him to hell because he was sympathetic before. He's a man of great courage. He knows that he's not afraid of things. And he is actually convinced in himself that this is the right thing to do and he is actually following his conscience. And Screwtape says if this is the case with him, well, then just nurture a confused emotional crisis and transition him quickly to an uneasy sort of patriotism. You know, uh, there's a marvelous, um, uh, a marvelous example of this. You interviewed Joseph Pierce last year, is that right? That was yes, yeah, season two. Mm-hmm. Season two, okay. Uh, Joseph has become a dear friend over the years, and of course, he was a white nationalist. He, um, he was part of the National Front um, and arrested for publishing racist materials in England in the '80s. And while he was in his second stint in prison, started reading Chesterton, and then read Surprised by Joy, read Tolkien, and that led to this man who used to beat up Catholics becoming Catholic. And you can see this utter transformation in Joseph, who had been very aggressive about his views. 
And now he is just this gentle, gentle man, deliberately so, mm. not gentle necessarily by nature. And and it's it's a, a, just a marvel to see how Christ just scooped him up and transformed him. And seeing how Screwtape had him in his clutches, Joseph, and then seeing the transformation and making him the very opposite of who he was. I don't know anything but the power of Christ that can transform a life. And if he can do that for, for Joseph, uh, I think that he can do that for us today. And listeners, if you'd like to read Joseph's story, uh, his book is called Race with the Devil. Now, Screwtape ends the letter by saying that whether this man becomes a pacifist or a patriot, Wormwood's task is to get the man to treat it, this ideology, this new ideology he's embraced, as part of his religion. He says, Then let him, under the influence of partisan spirit, come to regard it as the most important part. So pacifism, patriotism is now the most important part of his faith. And then Screwtape says, Then quietly and gradually nurse him onto the stage at which the religion becomes merely a part of the cause in which Christianity is valued chiefly because of the excellent arguments it can be produced in favour of the British war effort or of pacifism. You know, I see this all around me. Um, uh, I'm part of a couple of different congregations in a couple of different parts of the country, and I live in Northern Virginia in a blue state, um, yet my wife's family, where we travel often, is uh, Florida, and it's fairly red, at least in, in a lot of the areas that we're there. Um, and uh, the the troubling thing is that I'm dealing with Christians, for the most part, who are very ardent politically. Um, and I think that if Screwtape is going to have a success, he's going to have me put my politics ahead of my religion mm. and not see politics as a means of expressing my religion. And I won't take a political stand here or ever in public. Um, I just don't think that it that it uh, it has anything positive necessarily to do. But my religion should be driven by, or my politics should always be driven by what will express the love of God for this hard and hurting world the best. Um, I think Screwtape, like he says here, wants us to think of ourselves more as a political entity than, than a Christian entity. And that's always a struggle, especially in a season like the one that we're having here in America. I, I, don't, I don't know of anything else more than politics that can make somebody speak so venomously against someone and seeing this person as the enemy that must be destroyed and beaten and humiliated <laughs> rather than <laughs> the Imago Dei, rather than first and foremost that this is somebody made in the image and lights of God that I'm called to love. Hatred is the hallmark. And what's happened, and you know, I published an article a couple of years ago about this um, in Christian Century about creed or screed um, and the political rhetoric that was going on, maybe we'll throw a link in, um, but it's not about that. It's about the the idea that once I give myself permission to other somebody, once I give myself permission to make fun of them, to say, you fool, once I give myself permission not to understand how a deeply... A, a, a deeply committed Christian could hold different political views than I hold or not see politics as a means to the gospel, but rather the other way around. I'm in deep trouble and I've seen much of that, you know, much of that hatred. And Lewis says it about denominations. Um, he could be speaking about politics. He says, "I've in mere Christianity, in the preface, I've met little of that fabled odium theologicum, this theological hatred, from convinced members of communions other than my own. Um, more comes from the fringe of my own denomination. 
And then he says, it is at her center where her truest children dwell, that something or a someone speaks with the same voice. And he capitalizes something and someone. If my politics are working on me the way that they should be as a Christian, it's going to make me love my enemy. Turn the other cheek. Seek to go the extra mile. Look out for the Samaritan. Look out for the one who's who's hurting, even if I violently disagree with that. I think that we see this marvelous, marvelous view of maybe it's Storgy love that that uh, becomes an example of friendship uh, with the late Justices Scalia and Ginsburg, who were ideologically at the opposite ends of the bench, and they loved to go hunting together and do things together. And she said, Scalia made me laugh. And so I think that if some coterie um, or pacifism or whatever, if some group that I belong to makes me love others more, especially those I don't agree with, it's working in the right direction. If it's not making me love more, if it's allowing me to harden my heart, to wish, like Lewis says, that the black were a little bit blacker, then I know that something evil is at work, that screw tape's having his way with me. And that's a time to check myself and get back on my knees in front of the cross uh, from him who, who gave up everything for it for us. And that's how a faith can become co-opted. Mm-hmm. First of all, there's, there's a cause. It's a good cause. Mm-hmm. And your faith is in, in, in accord with that. But over time, somehow the cause seems to supplant your faith. And Screwtape ends with this. He says, once you have made the world an end and faith a means, you have almost won your man. And it makes very little difference what kind of worldly end he is pursuing. Provided that meetings, pamphlets, policies, movements, causes, and crusades matter more to him than prayers and sacraments and charity, he is ours. And the more religious on those terms, the more securely ours. I could show you a pretty cageful down here. Mm, chilling. In other news, I'm going to get a confession tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and with that, let's unscrew screw tape. Do you have any do's and don'ts? Well, besides the ones that I have, uh, that I've continued to, um, to events, you know, and certainly those extremes, check myself, do check myself and see if I have an extreme devotion to the Lord. Lewis said, I think quoting Kipling, that he would play tambourine with his toes on a street corner if he thought it would bring one more person to Christ. Mm. So do check my own extremism. Do also see if I'm thinking about myself or thinking about charity towards my neighbor. Charity, kindness, you know, softness of heart. In this political season, what makes me angry? Am I getting angry about unrighteousness or am I getting angry about things that, that, that deal with myself? So don't look inward. Do look outward. And look at the object of, for example, your anger. Anger isn't necessarily bad. But is your anger directed uh, against injustice or against the person that you perceive as mm-hmm. continuing that injustice? Um, uh, one of the big ones for me was uh, do beware of the in crowd and mm-hmm. the party spirit. Uh, since this has been a very political episode, so to speak, do I rush the defense of my party, my candidate, before actually asking, was this okay? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, I also had a few items from earlier on in the letter. So don't be a materialist or magician. It's good advice. Uh, Don't embrace scientism. That reductionist idea that everything that if you can't put it in a test tube, then it doesn't matter. And and also this will probably come up again when I interview the exorcist. Uh, 
don't think of the devil as simply something in red tights. It allows you to get complacent about the war that scripture says that we're in. Mm-hmm. That the devil's running around like a roaring lion. Yeah. It, exactly. And resist him steadfast in your faith. Mm-hmm. Now, you're not going to be resisting him if all, all you have in your head is this weird creature in red tights and horns and a pitchfork. Mm-hmm. You know, I think a couple more do's. Uh, I preached about this a couple of weeks ago. Do render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And when they handed Jesus the coin, they handed him this piece of idolatry. It was this image of Caesar proclaiming him to be the son of God. They handed the son of God an image of somebody claiming to be the son of God. (laughs) The money belonged to Caesar, give it to Caesar. But what we owe God is ourselves. But even more, I looked at the inscription and how uh, Isaiah 49, 16 says that we are inscribed in his hands. The inscription is on the coin and it belongs to Caesar, let it go. Do your political duty, whatever. But remember that we belong to God, that he has inscribed our very names, carve them into the palms of his hands, that we are so dear to him that we are never out of his sight and never free from his love. Jesus said, all the Father gives me will come to me and no one can take them out of my hands. If we are away from the hands of love or if we are treating somebody as if they are not preciously guarded in, in Christ's hands, then I would be on, on watch. Do keep, be vigilant about our devil, who prow, about, uh, about our enemy, the devil, who prowls around trying to keep any bit of us away from the devotion to love for God and love for neighbor. And do perceive all of the things that are currently going on principally as material for obedience. The -hmm. question that should be in my head with everything is, how can I serve God in this? Mm -hmm. And I think that's then leads to my final big don't. Don't make Jesus the means rather than the end. Mm -hmm. Or rather, do make him the end and not the means. Mm -hmm. Because as soon as we do that, we're we're heading on a pathway that Screwtape would be very happy about. Yeah, and we're pretty close to blasphemy, I think. Wonderful. Oh, my goodness. Now if I can only go out and live this out. Yeah. Now, now, now's the hard part, listeners. We have to hang up this podcast and go and love our neighbor. And our wives. Especially our wives. They have to put up with a lot. <laughs> yes, they do. Yes. Well, listeners, please join us again next week when we're going further up. And further in. Cheers. Cheers. Cheers.